This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the song. We thank you for the truth. God, that you are so high above us, God. You are so high and lifted up. You're so separate from us, yet, God, you came down to reach us. You revealed yourself in the person of Jesus as God's hand reaching out to us, that if we would repent and turn from our sin and put our faith and trust in Christ, that you would save us, God. God, we thank you for the gospel, for it is the only hope that we have in this life, the only way we can be reconciled back to you, God. Because with our sin, God, we... You can't even look upon sin, God. Sin has to be judged. It has to be taken care of. Oh, but with the gospel, you have taken care of sin, God. For you nailed sin to a tree. You nailed your only son to a tree. Our sin, bearing our sins in your body on the tree, that all who would look to Christ would see the lamb, and that blood's, the blood of the lamb would cover our sins, God. And so we thank you for the truth of that. We thank you for your resurrection, God. Lord, you are in this place now. You're everywhere at once, God. You have all knowledge, all wisdom, all insight, God. So we trust you in that. We don't have that, God. As the scripture says, we, we have this treasure in jars of clay and earthen vessels, Lord, and clay can break, it can fracture, Lord, but all you made us this way that you would get the glory for it, God, that we would not find rest and satisfaction in ourselves, God, but that we would have to look to you by faith and that you would get the glory for our lives, God. And so we thank you that you are great, that you are mighty, and that you are so far above us, that you are so holy. But it's because you are so holy, God, that you will never sin against us. You will never do us wrong, God. For your gospel has declared your love. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for the message that we're about to hear. Lord, I ask that you open up our hearts Open up our, our minds, God, to receive this humbly, God. We thank you for everything you've done. Continue to be with us in this service. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. Good morning. How are you on this beautiful, wonderful, cloudy morning? Isn't it great? Yes. Uh huh. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He was in rough shape last week. God still answers prayers, doesn't He? He does above all that we might ask or think. And uh, people say, oh, I think the days of miracles are all past. Well, you haven't been anywhere then. And if you're not seeing any miracles, you're not in a place where you really need God. <laughs> I mean, you are probably in the worst place where you really need God, but you've never felt your need for God. Uh, but as I've traveled around the world, uh, they, it's been astounding to me in places where there was no other resources, no other help, the miraculous things I have seen God do. And uh, it's just amazing. Good to have 
uh, the French is with us today, and uh, they're just awesome. Dale's our district, uh, what do you call that? District pastors? Yeah. And so he's kind of like, uh, over, helps oversee what's going on in the district, and he's just a great guy, and you guys know him. He's been here before, preached. Hey, you preached here, haven't you? Yeah, so, uh, but it's good to have him with us today. Uh, I want to talk to you about what it really means to be the church. Um, you know, I, I've hinted around it, and today I'm just going to slap you in the face with it. So, it's important for us to realize that we need each other. We need people. We need a body of believers. I didn't think I needed anybody. That's the way I grew up. I was, as you know from my testimony, I was abandoned by my mother emotionally. She rejected me, couldn't bear to look at me, never picked me up, never held me, never loved me. Uh, I never understood Mother's Day, never had those warm mother feelings or stuff like that because I was kind of cast off. Uh, it was very difficult. So my dad was never around, and he was a workaholic and an alcoholic, and uh, so it's hard to find them. Uh, they're always busy doing something. So I grew up taking care of me. When I got out of high school, I went to move into the mountains of West Virginia to live as a hermit, because I didn't need anybody. I thought, man, I'm just going to hunt my own food, take care of myself, there was nobody around. The closest neighbor was two miles away. And you had to walk on foot to get to him. So I thought, man, this is a perfect place. And I was good for about two weeks. Then I began to think, because I had thought originally, I don't want to see another human being again as long as I live. But after two weeks, I thought, people aren't so bad. Between me realizing that I needed people and my own cooking, it drove me out of the mountains within six weeks. I did not make it as a mountain man. Uh, but having said that, being with people is difficult. It's a challenge for me because I am 90% introverted. I know you think that's ridiculous. You get up there and talk and carry on. You don't understand. It was, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is to do ministry. Preaching isn't hard for me, but being among people was. It was a growth area in my life because, frankly, I'm good to go on my own. Give me a little bit of people and then let me get up on a mountain somewhere where it's just God and I and everything's fine. Anybody else like that? Anybody else introverted? I mean, you know, they used to tell us, well, if you get nervous when you get up to speak, imagine everybody sitting out there in their underwear. That's revolting. <laughs> you know, so it's like being around people. It was like, oh. Um, in fact, I was in a meeting a week or so ago, and we went on for over three hours, and as we were sitting in this meeting discussing all this stuff, I come said, you know, we've we got to get back to building relationships with people. We can't build buildings and call it a church. We have to build people, because people are what church is. <laughs> buildings 
are not church. Our fellowship is church. The relationships we have with each other is church. The movement of the Spirit between person to person is church. And every single one of us needs to be in a group where we get together and meet so that we can be church. But just even attending a service isn't church. Church is an intimate fellowship between believers who get to know each other well enough they can share anything with those people and know they have their back. It is a relationship that are founded in the sharing and the breaking of the word of God in the ministry of the word, but also in the sharing of our burdens, our concerns, our faults, and our sins, and through it all, We experience a connection with people that we know we never have to fear anything because the Lord is with us. Two or more gather together in his name. He's in the midst. And that is a church that the gates of hell cannot stand against. But organizations and worldly structures, even if they're called Christian, they all can come and go. But not church if you understand what church is. In Acts chapter 5, there's a persecution going on against the church. And the church is struggling. They've been taken and threatened, told to no longer preach in the name of of Jesus. And uh, the church then gets together and says, you know, what are we going to do with all of these Christians? And And Gamaliel says, uh, well, if this is of the Lord, you can't stop it. (laughs) Because if the Lord is really in you, it can't be stopped. But if it's not of the Lord, it'll come to nothing. And uh, so they went ahead and, uh, you know, uh, criticized and and challenged these people and uh, been beaten and so forth and sent away told not to speak in the name it says in in and it says in the scripture they went their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were considered worthy <laughs> to suffer for the gospel that's pretty crazy isn't it i mean we are so thankful we got beat why because man i can't believe we were counted worthy that somebody thought we were a problem to our world because of jesus being in me Let me ask you a question. Are you a problem for the world you live in? Is your Christianity so strong that it rattles people? Or are you just one of those mealy-mouthed little Christians who never say anything? Hmm? And I'm not talking about being an obnoxious person. We've had obnoxious Christians. Yeah, I've had them in my congregation. Some of them I've had to take to task. Some of them took me to task. I'm not talking about somebody who just goes off the handle. I'm talking about somebody in whom the Spirit of Jesus is so strong that people sense it when you walk in the room. 
The Holy Spirit is so anointed that it shakes people. Well, these people had that. And in verse 42 it says that when they left, after counting themselves worthy to be suffering for Jesus, they went every day in the temple and from house to house. And they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Didn't stop them. You don't let any obstacle or anything that comes against you to keep you from doing what church is. Now, they didn't own the temple. That was owned by the Jews. They couldn't get in there on Saturday. That was the, uh, the uh, Sabbath, and the Jews had it there. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, which became the Lord's Day, or the Christian Sabbath, they would meet, and, and they would fellowship. But every day they went from house to house, and they gathered together, and they preached in the house, and they taught in the house, and they broke bread. Acts tells us, chapter 2, that daily they would meet from house to house, breaking bread, fellowship, prayers, continuing in the apostles' teaching. All of that was contained in that. They developed a fellowship in the house that bound them together and kept them strong. It is nearly impossible for any government that would persecute Christians to stop a house church. They've tried it. And they've tried it with modern technology. The Soviet Union tried it. And it failed. China has tried it. And it has failed. Because you can't stop the house church. Why? It is such a simple gathering. How do you prevent it? Hey, you're invited over to my house this week. We're going to have a little barbecue. Yeah, we're going to have a little steaks on the grill. Sit down with a little potatoes. Then at the end, we're going to take a little bread and a little bit of the cup, you know, and we're going to have a little communion. We're going we're gonna to fellowship in the Lord and we'll sit around and talk a little bit. Next thing you know, we'll bring out the Bible and start talking the Word. How do you stop that? You really can't. You can try, but you can't stop it. It's what really is essential in church. It's how Jesus established the church. The church that gets away from having house church becomes half church. Because you really don't have full church. You can meet in the temple, but the day-to-day life experience of the Christian is lived out in house church among believers. Who's your prayer partner? Who's the person you call when you're in trouble? Who is the person that you go to? Who is the person that you bear your soul to? Who are the people that you know that if you were in the hospital, they have your back? Who are the people that you just know that you like to hang out with? I mean, if you're going to do something, you want to invite them. Or if your child's going to be dedicated. Or if you're going to have a birthday party. These are the people who are your people. That's what church is. And when we don't have that, we don't have church. If you're not in a house church, a small group of some sort, 
You're not in church. That's a lousy pulpit to hide behind. To be in church means I'm established in the fellowship of believers. Now, I grant you to get into that. It's not easy. I mean, frankly, for me, it's a struggle because I get around people and it's like, this is so much work. I'm so socially awkward that I don't know if I can wrap my mind around getting to know you. Anybody else like that? You know, that's me. I'm one of those people that say, you know, um, yeah, I'd like to meet you. Let's have a good superficial relationship. It's like, you know, I, you know, and I always say crazy things. You know, I, it's like, I, I really don't even know how to take a compliment. I, I still, after all these years, I know all the things I'm supposed to say, like, thank you. That was the hardest thing for me. I'm that awkward. Uh, lady, I did a conference yesterday up in uh, northwestern Ohio, and, uh, and the lady says, we didn't know we had gold when you came in here. You know, that was gold. I said, well, just make sure it wasn't fool's gold. See how... St- I, I can't even... <laughs> I just can't do it. I have to have people who get to know me well enough that they understand how warped my sense of humor is and how just quirky I am sometimes. Yeah, it takes a long time. <laughs> Dale and I go back a ways. He, he knows. It's just important to recognize, though, for me that it makes no difference how awkward I am. The thing that keeps me awkward is if I'm not in fellowship. In fellowship is where you learn to relate. And I shared with you last week that the gospel is not transferred over the airwaves. And it really isn't. Because the gospel isn't just words. It is the spirit and the word. And the gospel is proclaimed personally from person to person, and it is caught like fire. It's like Pentecost, where cloven tongues of fire come upon them. When you get together in a small group and the Spirit begins to move and you begin to share the Word and you begin to share your life and testimony, all of a sudden flames of fire start setting upon each one's head. Very important to recognize that, and I can't exist without that. Here's how James puts it in James chapter 5. He's talking to a group of Christians. Tell them, here's the kind of things and qualities that you need uh, to be the church. Here are the kind of things you need to practice to really be church. Now, I'm going to tell you, most of the things he's talking about, you don't need in a mega church. Why? You will not have that deep of a relationship with most people. You can slip in and slip out, and no one will ever know you're there. You can do it. 
I knew one church that was big and a fella went out to introduce himself to a fella he'd never seen before. He says, so glad to have you here with us now. I hope you enjoy your visit with us. The guy said, I've been coming here for 20 years. You don't have to have any real deep relationships. You can come to the audience and be part of the audience, which is different than being part of the church. Okay? Now, see, uh, there are things that I need to be among people, and here's the first one he says. Verse 7, be patient. (laughs) I need patience. You need patience? He doesn't say pray for patience. He says be patient. You you just aren't automatically patient. If you pray for patience, God's going to say, okay, wait a while. You be patient. Until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Farmers don't go out and plant a seed and say, okay, when I come back tomorrow, I want you ready to harvest. Can't do it. God doesn't work that way. You need to be patient. Whatever God's doing for the next best thing in the life of this congregation is going to take patience on your part. But when you're with people, you need to have patience. Do you know why? People are weird. They are. They do and say the weirdest things. How do I know that? I'm one of them. Don't laugh too hard, so are you. He goes on to say, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Boy, if there's ever a word we need for today, it's this word. Be patient. People look at what's going on in the world, how crazy it is. Politics are insane. Things people are doing are crazy. And you turn on the TV set and it, well, it looks like what we used to go at the circus to see on the sideshow. Now it's common day life. Be patient. God's at work. He's going to bring the harvest in his time. Strengthen your heart. If you've got patience, you can strengthen your heart because you don't have to feel pressure. When you don't have patience, you feel pressure. And you feel, I've got to get it done. It has to happen now. We've got to get this fixed. Oh, what are we going to do? Next thing you know, you've got anxiety and everything else pressuring down upon you, and you're about to go crazy, and your heart is all over the place. But if you say, hey, let's just back up and take it easy, You know, this is the Lord's show. He's got it together. Let's be patient. The Lord's at hand. Here's the next one. Verse 9. Do not complain. Anybody have trouble with complaining? I sometimes do. I mean, not often, but once in a while. I get around and say, why in the world? Don't complain. There's no reason. Complaining doesn't get you anything. And don't complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. You know, I, I, I remember a person who was complaining about people who judged people. 
They were all sitting in my office. She was fresh out of seminary. She was all fired up. I just can't stand these judgmental people, these unjudgmental Christians. And I let her go on and on, and I said, can we stop judging those who judge? You see how quickly we're the judge? We're complaining about those who judge, but we're judging people who we think are judging. See? Back up. Don't complain. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Uh, how many of those prophets who proclaimed the name of the Lord suffered uh, for the Lord? You're going to have to suffer if you're going to be a Christian. You're going to have to suffer with the world and what's going on. You're going to have to suffer with people who don't like Christians. And you're going to have to suffer with Christians. You know? You have to put up with people. And I'm amazed that Christians were mature enough to do that. I knew a church in New England that hired a pastor that they didn't really fully understand that he was extremely uh, uh, liberal in his views to the point where he didn't believe even the Bible was, was real. And uh, so people asked them, well, why do you keep him? And they said, because we know what he's all about and we're strong enough to handle it. We're afraid that if we let him go, he might go somewhere where they might actually believe him. Wow, what a strong church. But are you able to deal with people with their different issues and viewpoints? Saddest thing going on in our culture is families who are writing other family members off over politics. I saw a friend of mine who posted that he no longer goes to family gatherings with his family, his brothers or sisters, over politics. Shame on you. Shame on you. You're doing a disservice to your family. You've got to love people more than you love policies. But second of all, you're losing every opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Jesus with people. Do not write people over off over their views. We are here to catch people and let the Holy Spirit get a hold of them. And the Holy Spirit will lead and guide them in the truth. It may be a long process, but you better love people with opposing viewpoints. Do I need to hide? God is not willing that any should perish. That means he wants to save everybody. That's messy. God, don't you know it would be better to just save people like me? God says, no, that's even messier. But God wants conservatives saved. He wants liberals saved. God wants straight people saved, gay people saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And he's not giving up on people till there's no other way. You know, till they've... He's exhausted every avenue. That's how patient God is. Can we be patient with people who think different? A little bit? He goes on to say, 
Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job, who had seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Oh, I wish I could practice that more. So that you may not fall under judgment. Sometimes we all talk too much. Amen? Or ouch. Is any one of you suffering? Here we're getting into church again. What would church is? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Church ought to be a place where you can come if you're depressed or you're happy. And you will sing and you will pray for one another. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil. And the prayer of faith, offered in faith, will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. Do you understand how important it is for you to come together and get close to somebody and anoint people and lay hands on people to pray for people? That's what we did for Brother Jim. <laughs> Bradley Jim. But we, we lay hands, we touch people. We are here with people. In the Spirit of the Lord. Now Jesus says, where two or more gather together, there am I in the midst. And Jesus should mediate every relationship you have. Jesus should be in the midst of it. You have no right to even go to your children except the Lord mediate that relationship. Your children are not your own. Your wife isn't your own. Your husband isn't yours. They are the Lord's. And the only way you should treat them is through Jesus. Through the Lord. That's extremely important to recognize. But when you get together, you pray. You hear concerns. I mean, you have moments that will be hard and difficult. How many have had times in your family where your children have driven you nuts? Anybody? I mean... You get that little baby who cries five nights in a row. You want to take them out back, stake them out, pour honey and red ants on them, something, get them. See, I told you. I warned you. I don't think like other people. I was raised by wolves. But, you know, you, you just don't know what you're going to do. My oldest daughter's a wonderful Christian, loves the Lord. She's sweet as can be. She had an IQ in the 140s. Uh, it was hard raising her. She had an answer for everything. And she'd take us to the edge of the cliff and shove us over. Not just to the edge, but over. We'd asked her why after she grew up. Why'd you do that? I just had to see how far I could go. You know, but you know what we did all the time we grew up? And we'd have those fusses and things like this. Every night with our kids, we'd gather together and pray. And we'd say, oh, our feelings are all out of sorts, Jesus. We've been saying things and we all feel awful about stuff. And we just need you, Jesus, to come and help us to work through this uh, so that we can 
uh, know that we are loved by you and that we really do love each other. I never made my children feel like they weren't Christian because of how they felt. I always wanted them to know that the love of God was always there and they could do nothing to break my love for them. That's fellowship. This is what church is to be. We're to be in a fellowship where we can share our heart's secrets with one another and know that it will not break the fellowship. You understand? Now, I'm going to tell you, most churches don't have that. I don't think you should go into a church and get up and tell 100 people in a room, oh, do you know I went out and murdered somebody the other, you know. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a fellowship of people in a house church where you can talk and share. You've got to be able to talk and be able to be healed. And the prayer of faith upon those who are sick, and if they've committed any sins, it will be forgiven. Jesus says, what's easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk. If God touches you, he's forgiven you. (laughs) If he's touched you and healed you, he's forgiven you. You just need to know that. God does not waste his blessings. He does not waste any healing. If he touches you physically, he's touched you spiritually, and he's touched you emotionally. So, you need to realize that. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Confess your sins one to another. He's talking to the church. You grasp that? You say, well, wait, the church is perfect. Who told you that? The devil? I have never seen a perfect church yet. In fact, I've pastored some pretty dysfunctional churches. Anybody out there? I've been there. Things people do and say. Controlling. Manipulative. Oh my goodness, you never know what you're going to get into. Still, above all, God was at work. He still works. He still does things. Uh, But no church is perfect. But a healthy church confesses to one another. John Wesley, when he did his, and I've shared this with you, I think, before, but this is good enough that I want to hear it again myself. Uh, John Wesley, when he founded his Methodist groups, then the method was that you met every morning or at least a couple times a week in a small group at 5 a.m. in the morning. And you had testimonies, prayers, confession, and the reading of the word and preaching. And that was his method. And he said the leader of the group should confess his sins first. Anybody want to be a leader? Do you understand? That's, and he was a holiness preacher. You want to find what holiness is, you go to John Wesley. 
Yet, this is what the method was. And he said, when the church stops meeting in the morning at 5 a.m. for confession and prayers and all this stuff, we'll cease to be Methodist. Because that was the method. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in talking about confession and life together, said, because there's a lot of people don't like confession to one another. They say, I've confessed my sins to God. But Bonhoeffer said, why should we find it easier to confess our sins to a holy and just God who will judge us on the last day than to our brother who's as sinful as we are? If we do find it easier, that is to confess to God instead to our brother, we must ask ourselves one question. Have we really been confessing our sins to God at all? Or have we just been confessing our sins to ourselves and granting ourselves absolution. Self-forgiveness can never lead to a breach with sin. Only the pardoning Word of God can do this. And the Word of God says, confess your sins one to another in order that you may be healed. The reason you're not healed is you're alone in your sin. And he who is alone in his sin is utterly alone. You must be known. You must be received. You must have someone who can hear you. And when they hear you share your struggles and battles, they say, come here, sister. Come here, brother. Let me wrap my arms around you and pray for you. And let's invite Jesus to come in here and bring his grace and forgiveness. And you will know that in spite of yourself, you are still loved. That is agape. That is church. That is powerful. And most of us don't live in the powerful relationships that will transform our lives. We just want to get it off the television. Sorry, you're not going to get it watching Joel Osteen. It might feel good, but the gospel is being in an authentic relationship. And much can happen when you deal with real concerns and pray for one another. Our text ends with these words, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was not perfect. Elijah was just a regular old dude and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. He wasn't perfect, but he believed in the power of God, and it brought the next best thing. The power of God brings it together. It's the next best thing. But this is what church is. It's preaching this sermon, part of church. It's not all a church. Singing we did, part of church but not all of church. Church is out here. <laughs> this is church. I mean, as you're coming to decisions and things going and things changing and shifting, you need to know it is this body of believers, the fellowship that you share that binds you together. <laughs> 
in Jesus and not anything else. And you can have that whether you're in this building or you're meeting in a, in a 12 by 16 storage shed out back. Or if you're meeting in a home or you're meeting in a restaurant. You can have church because you are the church so you can be the church. But you must have those relationships to be in church. And I want to challenge you that if you're not in a small group, get in one. If you don't have one you can get into, make one. Create one. You don't have to be trained. People think, oh, I've got to have a lot of training. No, you have to have a little bit of hospitality. I have no hospitality whatsoever. You come to my house, I'll say, yeah, you're welcome. Just get whatever you want out of the refrigerator because I don't cook. I wouldn't know how to cook. I could serve you burnt offerings. <laughs> That's about it. But that would be like worship, so I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't have anything that I, I don't have any of those skills, but you're welcome. I can be hospitable. You know? And you'll be surprised how it'll change the world. So I want you to be church, and I want to give you a little taste of church today. We've done this a few times, but I want you to stand with me as they get ready to come and lead us in a song. But I want you to gather in prayer groups. And you all, Did all of you get a prayer card when you came in? How many, does everybody have one? Take that prayer card with you. Okay. Anybody need a prayer card? Doesn't have one? Yeah, we got some back here that need prayer cards. You got a couple more in your pocket? Take it right back there. Let's get those prayer cards to these people. All right. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in some groups. Uh, three, four, whatever, five, not big. If you get in too big of a group, you're going to be in a mega church. I want you to be in a little church. Yeah. So get three or four or five people together. If it's six, we won't count. But I want you, here's how I want you to do this. Let me show you. Let me show you this card. Here's how I want you to do this. I'm going to sit here because some of you say, well, I don't know what I'd share. I fix that for you. You have a prayer request, and it says, well, wait a minute. Okay, two new jobs for two friends, it says at the bottom of this. New jobs for two friends. Somebody has friends who needs jobs. So that's my prayer request. So you read yours to her and him with that group, and they read theirs. And then any other personal concerns you want to share, you can share, and then you pray. Okay? And one leader can pray, a couple of you can pray. If you're not praying out loud, you don't have to pray out loud. You're free. Isn't that great? I'm not, no pressure. So just gather and share and pray and be the church. All right? Amen. Okay. Think, G. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Do you guys know that chorus? 
O Lord, you're beautiful, your face is all I seek, oh, and when your eyes are on this child, your grace it abounds to me. Isn't that a sweet song? Amen. Amen. They're going to come up here in a moment and get ready to do that. But as they're coming, I know you've already greeted and shake hands, but I want you to practice love right now. All right? So divine love. I've told you, you we're all quirky and everything. So I want you to stand. I want you to shake hands just real quickly while they're coming up with three people and make one of them somebody you don't like. Will you do that? Stand up real quick and shake hands real quick. All right, I just want to close this out. Um, I, I want to invite ushers to come forward and take offering for a few moments. I will uh, dismiss us with the word of prayer. Um, as I said, I would invite all of you to uh, remain. We are going to break here just to allow, if you've got kids in the back, please go get your children. They're welcome in here. I know they'll be squirmy. Mine will be, be forewarned. Um, so it's fine, and uh, that's what we will do. So let me pray uh, just a brief prayer of benediction over us, and then we will break for that. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the, the teaching this morning that draws us to the heart of what the church really is. God, I pray that we catch sight and don't lose sight of, the, of your calling on us that the church is the fellowship of all believers. We can find ourselves in church in the craziest of places. God, thank you for that promise and that calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.